So last week, uh, what did we talk about? Yeah, knowing God's thoughts. So this idea of being a spiritually minded people, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a great little passage there. It was, it was revelatory for me uh, in, a, in a kind of transition out of uh, being kind of highly intellectual, uh, coming into this reality of uh, spiritual mindedness. Um, so I talked all about that. And so essentially the relationship between um, you know, the mind and the spirit, but pe- becoming a people that are spiritually awakened, spiritually mature, spiritually minded, and being able to know the thoughts of God because we have the mind of Christ, which is the, the mind of Christ is the, yeah, Bethia was listening. Yes, top of the class. Good, no, no, I don't, I mean, I just share stuff each week because I enjoy it. I don't expect you to take anything on board, so feel free just to. Uh, today I wanted to talk to you about the relationship between the heart and the mind. So again, kind of following on in a similar uh, kind of uh, process, but uh, I think often uh, in the Christian journey, and depending on what stream of Christianity you find yourself swimming in, um, it depends on, I guess, the, the level of how more intellectual they are, maybe, or how spiritual they are, or how kind of emotive they are in their engagement with the Lord and their engagement with theology and all of those sorts of things. But the heart, in my kind of journeying and, and study and interaction with, uh, with different people, different leaders, and what we know kind of across the church, at least in Western culture, is that the heart is often overlooked in Christianity, particularly when it comes to theology. So theology is the study of God. Um, And so this thing of knowing God, well, it comes primarily if I know God, then I know God. If I know Him in my mind, if I have an understanding, if I can intellectually grasp truths about God, then I know God, therefore. And uh, the heart can often seem kind of, uh, seen as less trustworthy than the mind. With a mind, I can think and I can process and I can analyze and intellectualize and and grasp these sorts of concepts. But the heart's a little bit harder to engage with, the belief systems of the heart. And we live in a mind-driven culture. We live in a a Greek-influenced culture, which is primarily about the intellect, the mind, the study of the mind. That was Greek philosophy. You know, knowledge is king in that kind of way. The whole modernist cultural movement that we are, who sort of like modernism, postmodernism, all that sort of stuff. You probably heard um, a uni student talk about it or a Bible college student talk about it maybe a few years ago. Um, are they still doing it? Okay, cool. Um, it's good. They've got to teach something, I guess. Uh, but this idea, so modernism, essentially one of the base belief of modernism, which was a worldview, a Western worldview, a paradigm, a way of thinking right across the culture, is that if only people were more educated, then the world would be a better place. So even the, 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 the birth of a lot of the schooling system and the approach to that, that's why education is seen you know, put so high. That's why we have schools where children spend a lot of their early years in a classroom learning, 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 because the thought is, well, if we just educate people enough, then the world will become a better place. Okay? So then in countries that maybe Western culture would move into, it's like, well, we need to start schools. We need to educate, educate, educate. And that will make the place, the world a better place. Postmodernism then is, I guess, the reaction to some of those things that, well, can we really know truth and the, the wrestle with truth and all of this sort of stuff? Um, that's a whole other kind of topic and, and whatever. But, but that's the kind of culture that we still live in where learning, understanding, 
is really, really highly important. Now, I'm not saying that it's not important, but all I'm saying is that we also are a people, we have a mind and we have a heart and we have a spirit as well, but our heart and our mind interact and I need to interact well in order for us to come into a greater measure of wholeness. So what's the role of each? Well, the mind is used, I guess, even scripturally, primarily for understanding. So for uh, perceiving and conceptualizing truth. Luke 24, uh, starting at verse 44 and 45. Luke 24. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Two points to, to point out here. Number one, the entire Old Testament is all about Jesus. All of the stories, all of the concepts, they're all pointing towards Jesus. They don't use His name not just the ones that prophesy about a Messiah. Every story has some element of Jesus in it. And I really encourage you, even as you're reading through the Old Testament, to look for Jesus. Yeah, to look for Jesus in all the different stories. Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain, his son carrying the wood on his back, sacrificed at that point where he's about to be yeah, killed. Yeah, now I know that you love me because you would not beho- you know, withhold your son, your only son. Yeah, now that we can say to God, and Father, we, we know that you love us because you, you did not withhold your son, your only son. Yeah, so we see all of that imagery is all about Jesus. Anyway, that's a little point, not in the sermon, but freebie. He loves a freebie. So he said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So that, but again, there was this a spiritual kind of dynamic happening here. Jesus opened their minds. He didn't say, okay, well, we're going to do a seminar. I've got a seminar coming up next week, and it's going to teach you where I am in all of the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures, and Jesus opened their minds, so all of a sudden their revelation came. So there is always a spiritual and supernatural dimension to the mind. It's not simply kind of brain synapses firing and all of that sort of stuff, information coming in, but there's an awakening. And again, as we step into spiritual maturity, then we have the, our spiritual minds get awakened. But if you want to learn more about that, Check out last week's sermon. So the mind is used for understanding and the heart primarily is used for believing. Understanding and believing. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the heart has a whole lot of belief systems in it. And sometimes those beliefs can be in contradiction to what we think, to what we understand. And that's called cognitive dissonance. Where what I think and, or, and what I believe or what I think and what I experience are different. It causes a disruption. And people, particularly Western Greek thinking type people like us, we really don't like that. It creates a tension inside of us that we need to try and resolve. So often what happens is, well, we can read something maybe in the Scriptures or we're taught something that says this is who God is or this is what God does. Then my experience is different to that. So then I'm like, well, I have to resolve this. So either my experience is wrong or what I believe is wrong. So if, and, there, and often what happens is, well, I'm going to change my theology. I'm going to change my belief system to try and reconcile the two things. God's actually totally okay for you to live in the place of mystery. He's actually he's like, don't, you don't need to resolve some of those things. They're called paradoxes. 
two seemingly contradictory truths that coexist side by side in harmony. They kind of work together. And that's what the kingdom is full of. You want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to live, you've got to die. doesn't make any sense, but that's how the kingdom works. So the mind is used for understanding, the heart is used for believing. So in our culture, and often then in Christianity, the mind is kind of elevated in this, in this, uh, in this way. But what does God think about the heart and the mind and how they work together? Well, God looks at both, and He cares about the two things. He cares about your mind, and He cares about your heart. Philippians 4, 7, and it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, so that's interesting, it's not a peace that you can understand, it's ununderstandable. It's not understandable, and yet it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Revelations 2.23, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and will give to each of you according to your work. So God searches the mind of His people, and He searches the hearts of His people. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my... Try me and know my... Yeah, that's a well-known scripture. There's a, 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 there's a great song that Rachel wrote about that. Yeah. Is that on the EP? Yeah, you can go buy it for... 29.95. Not that much. It's cheaper than that. Um, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my thoughts. So again, God's looking at the two things. Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. So God's saying we're taking the law from being written on tablets of stone. I'm going to write, I'm going to put it in their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts. So mind and heart, both there given status in that process. But it's interesting, as I read this verse, I was like, it's interesting. It says, I'm going to put my law in their minds and I'm going to write it on their hearts. It doesn't say I'm going to put my law in their hearts and their minds or I'm going to write it on their minds and their hearts. It's put in our minds and it's written on our hearts. And when I think about that, it's almost like the temporal coming into the permanent. When something's written down, it becomes permanent. I can say something to you. If we're, if we're having a conversation, I say, hey, this is what I'm going to do and this, that and whatever. And often then we'll say, can you put that in writing? Yeah, when we want to make sure, okay, I know that we've had this conversation. I don't want to get caught out later on, maybe in more of a business transaction, probably not in your everyday conversations. Good morning, darling, how are you? I'm good, thanks. You know, I love you, I love you. Can you just put that in writing, please? I just, just so I've got it there, you know. You can write love letters, but anyway, that's another point. So, uh, but we understand this going from this kind of temporal, like, okay, we're having a conversation to putting it in writing. And there's something I think where when God gives us understanding, but when it gets written on our hearts, it becomes permanent. It becomes lodged in us. It starts to shape our belief in our hearts. Understanding without implementation is only half the equation. If you can perceive something and understand something, a truth about God, and yet it doesn't get written on your heart, it's only part of the process that God wants to, to do. Because if the heart is used for believing, we can only have understanding, and without believing, we're left short. 
because our belief systems will always override our thought systems, eventually. You can try and trick your heart into believing something, but when your guard is down, the heart will come out. And that's actually a really good thing. Don't be afraid of your heart. Who here has ever been afraid of their own heart? Yeah? Like, oh man, I hope it doesn't come out. I'm afraid of what's inside there. And God knows that and He protects us and He guards our hearts, even though He calls us to guard our hearts, but He guards our hearts and He protects us in that way. But there's something of these belief systems, they need to come out because we will walk in accordance with to what we believe. Yes? Amen. I wrote here, the heart and the mind are not two separate destinations, but they're two points on a journey. So coming into the understanding of truth, they're not like, well, I can just go to the mind or I can go to the heart. But the Lord says, no, well, I'll use the mind to bring my truth to the heart. Because it's important to have understanding, not just belief. So how do they work together? Well, the mind is a portal for truth, which again, we don't want to miss out the role of the spirit in this process to be spiritually minded. But the mind is a portal. It's an access point for truth. We can read truth in the scriptures. We can receive truth in conversation. We can receive truth in revelation, in prayer, or through prophetic words. But there's something where our mind can perceive and process. We can weigh them up against other things. So someone gives you a prophetic word and you go, hold on, that seems to contradict what I've already heard God say in the scriptures. But my mind is part of that process of discernment learning and understanding truth the mind can also be an interface for the heart so the mind and my understanding this is what happens sometimes in prayer particularly in prayer ministry your belief systems are there you think you believe something (laughs) but then all of a sudden God says well I'm just going to open up your heart for a minute here and then what you really believe comes out has anyone ever been shocked by what their heart believes yeah no, you're not putting your hand up because, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so you process. But that's, that's the reality. So the mind then can become an interface, like an interaction between the two, like a, like a computer monitor and then the actual computer itself. So it becomes an interface for the heart. It, it reveals the things of the heart. It gives us understanding in those sorts of ways. But there can often be a conflict between the two, a conflict between what we think or what we believe, or sometimes even maybe if we're more intellectually minded and someone's more kind of heart aware in that case. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you just seem to be missing each other? Yeah, missing each other. It's called marriage. (laughs) That's what I call it anyway. But there are sometimes in that thing where people are expressing their heart and, and maybe you're coming from the mind with understanding. And this is, again, sometimes even how you know, men and women can be wired differently in that way. Men to be more in terms of intellectual understanding, women to be more hard aware. I don't believe that's uh, fully just how it is and how it should be. I think men need to become more hard aware. And, and again, women need to have more understanding maybe. But, um, you know, like it's, it's important that we're coming into wholeness because God is, you know, not one or the other. He is, he is whole in that kind of way. But that's often how it can happen. And Christian culture can swing to either end of the pendulum, you know, the, the pendulum can swing to either end in this kind of way. To become highly intellectual and ignore the heart or to become highly kind of emotive and, and heart-driven, but actually 
ignore the mind or become super, you know, spiritually driven in that kind of way and then ignore the mind and good theology. Okay, that's often the, you know, in charismatic kind of circles, people who are more Holy Spirit, that we kind of put, oh yeah, but they don't have good theology. Because we think they don't have good understanding. So it becomes either more of an emotive kind of uh, way of doing things or a more cognitive way of doing things. But the reality is God uses and utilizes both. He values both. He values the mind and he values the heart. Matthew 22, 37, which is the greatest commandment, and it talks about to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. But two of those words, their heart and mind, love God with your heart and love God with your mind. Which again, we often think about love being a heart thing. You know, I just love and it's from our heart and we send love hearts and all that sort of stuff. That's how we kind of think about love being connected to the heart. But God's saying, no, you need to love me with your mind, with your intellect, with your mental faculties. So these are two different parts of who we are. They interact together, but the Lord's saying, I want you to love me with your heart, and I want you to love me with your mind. I want you to love me with your, even your physical strength and your body and your soul, which is, you know, all of those things kind of mixed together. So it's important to understand that both of them are being renewed by God, and both of them are to be used in worship and to love God, to express our love for God. It's not, well, love God with your mind and just ignore your heart. Or just love God with your heart, but just ignore, you know, what you're actually thinking about. And so unless our hearts and our minds work together, we remain disconnected from ourselves. There's a, there's a disconnect, even internally. And that can be really hard to live with. If what I think about God is different to what I believe about God, that's going to cause some tension in me. So our hearts can become healed, but then we remain ignorant. We don't want that. We don't want healed hearts and then ignorant minds. Number one, because it disables us to be able to speak and share that truth. That's what I love about with the Elijah House training, not just going and getting prayer ministry, but as you do and work through the different units, you actually come to have understanding about the ways of the heart, about the ways of the kingdom, about the ways of the spiritual realm, about the ways that God works and how we interact and, and react to different situations. So when I have understanding, then I, I can step into a greater measure of maturity. I was even talking to someone recently, and it's like, for them, you know, God's doing all this work on their heart, but because they're maturing in their understanding, they're able to take responsibility even for their own heart. It's not like, uh-oh, I've got an issue, better go see a prayer minister. It's like, oh, well, oh, something's come up. Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, I know, Lord, that I need to repent for that judgment, or oh, oh, I just realized, I think I've believed in, in a vow about this situation or the way things are going to go. I just, oh, Father, I just renounce that. And we get to step into maturity. We start to, as we interact with other believers and people, we start to hear the way that the Lord works. We start to hear and understand the ways and the workings of the heart. Yeah? And it's important, again, that we don't become less ignorant in our thinking, but then remain unchanged in our hearts. You get people, I know people, and they're super, super, super smart, and yet they just seem totally disconnected from their heart. So there's chaos reigning in their lives, in their personal lives, in their internal world, and yet they're really, really smart people. Smart people do dumb things. Really smart people even then believe really dumb things. 
And a lot of people can battle with this on their journey with God. If you read in, in the, the chapter 7 of the book of Romans where Paul talks about, you know, I, I, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And there's this conflict that's kind of happening inside of me. Who will deliver me from this body of death, he says. But praise be to God. Praise be to Jesus. Because Jesus can be the one who will deliver me from that. But there's this tension almost between what he thinks and what he understands and what he believes. Because his belief is driving his action, but his mind is driving his thought life. And those two things are in conflict. But I believe that God is restoring and uh, bringing those two things into right order together. He's renewing not just our minds, but healing our hearts. So the answer, obviously, obviously, to the problem is Jesus. But repentance requires understanding and it requires taking responsibility repentance so the changing of the mind it's the greek word metanoia means to change the way that we think which naturally then flows into a change of behavior if it sinks into here i've repented plenty of times from my mind and yet it hasn't changed my behavior anyone ever done that yeah so we repent oh, yeah i'm sorry god i did that oh, i repent for for doing that and the next day i'm doing it again Okay, because somewhere, because my behavior hasn't shifted, because whatever I'm believing that's causing me to behave in that particular way hasn't changed. And often then we become focused on the action, and I repent for the action, but I don't actually repent for the belief system that I have. If you are stuck in some sin or some addiction or some false refuge in your life, it's because there is a belief system that drives you to go to that place when you have need. It's not because you think this is a really good idea. Rather think, sin, what a fantastic idea. That, that makes total sense to destroy my life. I don't think that. But it's like, I know this is wrong. I know this is not good for me. I know I've got to get healthy. And I'm standing at the fridge looking at the donuts. I, and I bought those donuts. <laughs> so I, I must have just gone into a trance, went down the shops, bought a six-pack of donuts, and then put them in my fridge. Or someone's, the devil's delivered donuts to tempt me. <laughs> Luke's got me hooked on affogados now. Ice cream and coffee. It's good. Sorry if that just caused anyone to stumble in your mind. But... Um, you know what I mean? So there's something that we need to resolve, two of these things. And repentance requires responsibility. Man, primary part of the journey with Jesus is taking responsibility for your life. To stop blaming other people for all of your problems. To stop blaming other people for all of your sins. To stop blaming other people for anything else. Take responsibility for yourself. Please, for the love of God, take responsibility for yourself. Because we can't take responsibility for other people. It's unrighteous to take responsibility away from somebody because that takes away their ability to respond. That's why it's called responsibility. So if I give away my responsibility, then I lose my ability to respond in a situation. And therefore, I have to blame somebody else for the predicament that I find myself in. And it's my choices and my decisions. The devil didn't make you do it. So 
Repentance must change the heart or it doesn't bring lasting change to the behavior. We can change our behavior for a lot of reasons. Guilt, shame, fear. That's why sometimes even in preaching, people can preach, they can preach guilt or they can preach shame from the pulpit, they can preach fear and people will change their behavior from a bad motivation but it will not last because it won't bring heart change because the Lord won't allow... Well, he'll put a blockage there even to stop that from sinking in. But we can, we can get people to change through using ungodly tactics. Like I've heard it happen, control, manipulation, all this sort of stuff. <sighs> yeah, I know. I'm a cowboy. So it's important that we're not swayed by our emotions, that we're not just driven by our heart and we go here, there, and every there, ignoring truth, ignoring understanding. But it's so important that we don't ignore the heart. Even in our interactions with one another, this has been a journey for me as a, as a man and uh, marrying a woman and understanding that there's just a different kind of process in that. And so for me to give value to Lisa's heart, even though she might be sharing something that I don't think is right... I don't think it's right, or it might not be truth in that sense, but it's what she's believing in her heart. And so to give acknowledgement to this is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm believing, and it's really, really hard. Has anyone seen the, it's not about the nail video? No? YouTube it. It's hilarious and so, like, really accurate to, to male-female relationship. But um, I, won't, I won't go on about it. Um, but you know, there's something there because it gives value and validation to what is going on inside of us because that's, that's true to us. And that's one of the problems is if I believe a lie, it becomes a truth to me. So I can say to you, well, that's a lie. I know, but I believe it to be true. So it's a truth to me. Now, objectively, it might be a lie, but to me, it is true and it is going to happen. And this is the way that it is. But if we don't give acknowledgement to the heart in that process and work on the change of belief, we can't just go, okay, I believe, it's, I believe one thing, but I'm just going to tell myself that it's the other thing. And hopefully that will eventually sink in. So it's important that we don't ignore the heart. If we ignore our heart, it, become, it can become hardened and dull, which causes then life to cease to flow. John 12.40 he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they would see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So that's the Lord sometimes. That's what happens. But when we ignore our heart and our heart becomes, it kind of gets when we shut our heart down. Anyone ever shut their heart down? Yeah, woo! Awesome. If I don't feel it, then I'm not swayed by it. So I'm kind of cool. I don't have to feel the feelings, the bad feelings. I just shut, bury that sucker down as deep as I can and put a smile on my face and perform the heck out of my life. And, uh, and hopefully it just stays dead and buried. Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That's when it talks about your heart being all of life flows from the heart. So if we shut the heart down, then what happens? Life stops flowing out of us. We start interacting with the world simply with our intellect, with our mind, with our understanding, and our heart gets shut down and becomes dull. 
not good. Now, all you intellectual ones out there are going, but Brad, I know a scripture. It's in Jeremiah, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 9. Yeah, you, you know it, some of you? Put your hand up if you know what Jeremiah 17, 9 is. I'm going to catch you out. Yeah, oh, good. None of you are willing to own up. And it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I was one of these people. I'd use it. Yeah, no, don't trust your heart. Your heart is deceitful and it's sick. Who can understand it? Don't forget about your heart. Just read the Bible. Do what it says. Because that's gone well for a lot of cults. sailor the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it well it goes on see that you know sometimes when you read a verse and you build your life on a verse and then you don't realize that there's other verses around that one verse that actually give an answer to the problem and it says i the lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruits of his deeds I search the heart and test the mind. So it's like, well, who can understand it? Well, the Lord can understand it. That's the, uh, that's the answer. I, I can get confused by it. It's incredibly complex and hard to understand. That, that the heart is that, but the Lord knows it. The Lord understands it. And it's the Lord who tests it, the Lord who exposes it, the Lord who searches it. And the problem is, if we say, well, the heart is that, well, Proverbs 28 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So now, Brad, you've got to ignore the heart, mate. You've just got to trust the mind. Not according to Proverbs 28, 26. It says you're a fool if you trust in your own mind. Wow. Proverbs 3. My son, uh, starting at verse 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. Do not forget what I've ta- taught you. But let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace that will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Amen. So he's saying you need these things to be written on our heart. So as much as yes, well, the heart is hard to understand and it can bring deception. It can deceive us. In the same way, you know, you're in a desert and you see a mirage and you can be deceived by what you see. We can be deceived by what goes on in our heart. Because our heart can believe something and I don't know that I'm believing the wrong thing because I'm believing it to be true. That's the problem with deception. Is that it deceives you? Yeah. Bing. What the? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the heart is to be transformed in the same way that the mind is to be renewed. That's why we encourage prayer ministry. That's why we focus on the heart. That's because it's like, no, God's got a journey. This is not something we put to the side. So just forget about our heart and have right understanding and you'll be right. Or just learn and just quote scripture by faith and just declare it. No, it is this. It doesn't work. 
God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Luke 16, 15, and he said to them, you, uh, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what it is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So it's important to understand that believing the truth is better than knowing the truth intellectually. And the reality is we only truly know in the, in the depths of who we are. We only truly know in our hearts. We can't know something with our minds if we're knowing in our hearts. That word to know is that word of intimacy, deep connectedness. And that's a spiritual reality. You know, I can know about gravity, but believing in it stops me from jumping. I can know it. Yeah, I know gravity exists. But I prove that I believe it when I stand on the edge of a cliff and I don't jump off. That's the proof. That means that I really know that it exists, okay, because I'm not jumping off. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, cross, crush. The message of the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So this is the thing, even if you're trying to have an intellectual debate about the existence of God, good luck with that. What we share, this is the scripture from last week in 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul's like, man, I came simplicity of message, demonstration of the power of God. That's hard to argue with. It's really easy to argue with, you know, propositional truth statements about God. Well, I can, people can, I can argue that, I can pull out even a different scripture and argue from the Bible. I used to do that sometimes, just for fun. You know, with people, and they believe something, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, it says this here. Well, what about this verse? It says seems to say the opposite. Even though I believed what they were saying, I was just a nerd. <laughs> I, it was just fun to do that sometimes. I need to get out more. But the reality is that w w there's, there's, a, there's a deeper understanding that actually the, the wisdom of the world, God's like, I'm not even going to use it. I'm going to do something so 
foolish that is just going to mess with their minds. That would make no sense to them. But to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and power of God. So to those that God is bringing into salvation, they look upon the same things that someone else would look upon as foolishness and weakness. And they go, there's power and wisdom right there. Because it comes by revelation. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is a word that means like renovation. So taking the old and bringing it into the new, renovating your mind, renewing your mind, so that it comes into right understanding. So again, transformation is part of the process that comes through the renewing of the mind. You won't be transformed simply by renewing your mind, because it's only part of That's your mind being renewed that leads to transformation. So our minds are renewed that gives us understanding. This right understanding helps to transform our hearts to give us right believing, and then this right believing becomes right behaving. That's the full kind of measure of transformation, that I become different than what I was. Not just different thinking, but different believing and different behaving. Jesus wasn't in conflict with himself. He knew what he believed and he acted in accordance with his belief. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm not really sure about this, God, but, you know, okay, well, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with your idea of things. He, you know, he was, he was fully integrated. What he thought, what he believed, and what he behaved was all one. There was no hypocrisy in him. And that's the problem sometimes, that we can even have right thinking and right behaving, but not right believing. Which means there's hypocrisy going on in us. Because our right thinking and our right behaving in that sense isn't coming from a place of love. It isn't coming from a place of transformation. And that's a problem because it's not the fullness of Christ being poured out of us. Amen? So if the mind engages with a truth that the heart doesn't believe, we cannot simply just change the way we think and expect an automatic change of heart. Sometimes that happens. If we just like, I had no idea that that was true. My heart hasn't believed anything about that. So I'm just going to come into agreement with that and my heart believes that which I understand. Okay, there's those that, that can happen. But some people would uh, just say, so some people would say, just think and declare the right things and the heart will follow. So, well, you don't believe that in your heart. Well, you just need to, got to declare it by faith, speak it out and name it and claim it and do all that sort of stuff. And then you'll naturally, your heart will just follow along behind that. That does work apart from if your heart is believing that thing for a reason. And if that reason is established because of a sinful response to life or a circumstance. So if my heart believes something about God because my experience has taught me in a sense of how I've perceived God's behavior, how I've perceived people's behavior towards me, that I've come into a belief about life, about God, about people, about men or women or whatever it is, if I've come into that heart belief because of a judgment that I've made, because of unforgiveness in my heart, because I've made a vow that that's not who I will be or how things will go for me, because I have a foundational lie in my heart that I've come into agreement with. So if my heart then, it gets locked in, a judgment will lock my heart into believing a particular way. And so thinking differently doesn't deal with the judgment. Because God's going to hold me to that. He will hold me to that judgment. 
Just you, you judge, you want to walk in judgment, that same judgment that you use will be measured back against you. That's what the Bible says. Or you want, you want to walk in unforgiveness and have unforgiveness in your heart, cool. Well, eventually you'll be handed over to the jail and you'll be locked up. You'll be locked into that. And the fruit of that. If our beliefs are wrong and they've been established because of life circumstances, then we're bound to those beliefs unless we repent and renounce and deal with those things. And again, I know we've covered this many times, and this is what this is one of the things that happens in prayer ministry. We don't you don't need to have a prayer ministry session to do it, but it's always good to walk out the fullness of the steps. Um, you've, if you've done any of the units, Amy often does a, the first kind of session teaching on how we often understand forgiveness in the church. Okay, we get that. Okay, yeah, I know I have to forgive. So God, I forgive this person for this situation that happened and the way they sinned against me. Okay, so we're we're free then when it comes to we release forgiveness. The problem is if we have a judgment against that person or if we made an inner vow in response to that person or if we chose to believe something about ourselves or that person or life based on that situation, we're still locked into all of those other elements. Well, I've forgiven them. So why, why do I still have such bitterness in my heart towards them? Well, because you judge them in that way and you haven't dealt with the judgment. So we need to come out of agreement with those things. But this is the problem though. If we're saying... Well, my heart believes this, but I know that this is the truth, so I'm just going to declare it and speak it out and do all these sorts of things. It doesn't just change the heart because the heart's locked in. It's like you're trying to steer a ship without a rudder. (laughs) It's just going to go in the direction that it's heading, the direction of your beliefs, and you can try and think your way out of it, and it's not going to change. There's only one doorway to come out of our, our sinful responses to life, and that's the door that we came in through. There's no back door. There's no shortcut or escape plan. If, our, if we sinned our way into it, we must repent our way out of it. That's what God wants. That's what, a, that's what maturity looks like, is taking responsibility and saying, yeah, I sinned my way into that judgment, Lord. I sinned my way into that belief system, so I'm going to take responsibility to repent my way out of it. And it's the Lord's help. It's the Lord's revelation. It's the Lord's power. It's His authority that you can even do that. He hasn't just signed it. Well, you made a judgment, boom, that's it. See you later. Go to hell. He says, no, you've done that, but there's an answer for you. My son died on the cross to break the power of sin and death, and now that can be appropriated and applied to your life as you turn in repentance towards me and you deal with those things. It's quick, easy, simple, but if it doesn't happen, then we stay locked in. And God is gracious to us. He is so merciful and loving that we don't taste the fruit of a lot of those things. He kind of lets it trickle out, sometimes in seasons where it's worse than others. But it's His love and His mercy. It's not to point the finger and condemn. It's like saying this, I know, I know you're thinking the right stuff about me, but your heart, we can have judgments against God. So I say the Bible says God is good. People sing, He's a good, good Father. He's good, he's good all the time. God is good, God is good. But my heart says he's not that good. Or maybe my heart believes he's not, he's, he might be good to those people, but he's not good to me. So how are you going to respond in life? You're going to respond as if God isn't good or he's not good towards you. You can get Bill Johnson's latest book, God is Good, and you can read it back to front and front to back even. If you've got it reading backwards. It's not going to change your belief system until you deal with the belief system. 
You can have all the right theology, all the right thinking, and yet completely miss the heart. So how do we renew our minds? Anyone know? Yeah. Well, I've got some that I prepared earlier for you. This is a tough crowd, man. How do we renew our mind? Well, the first one is important to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And it goes on, but you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. So you're in the Spirit, but you must set your mind, therefore, on the things of the Spirit. You know, Paul talks about consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. But that word consider yourselves, it might mean that your experience might look different to that, but you need to consider yourself dead to sin, but alive and alive to God in Christ. So it's like, okay, but the way that my life goes seems like I'm alive to sin. And sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I'm dead to God. Like I don't hear God and yet I'm sinning all the time. And Paul says, I understand that, but you need to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. In your mind, you need to focus on the fact that actually I'm not alive to sin. Sin doesn't have dominion over me anymore because Jesus paid the price for that. But you see, in my mind, I can, I can pronounce that, but in my heart, I've got to renounce the opposite. I've got to deal with both of those parts. But it's important, if my mind is not dwelling on those things, then my mind will come into agreement with my heart, which might be wrong. So I live in this tension, grabbing truth with my mind and letting it stir up any area of my heart where there's a light. And then I go, and now I get to deal with my heart. So set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of heaven. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Your thought life is important. What you dwell on, your thought life is incredibly important. Which means what you watch, what you listen to, what you engage with, all of those things will have an impact. So set your mind on the things of the Spirit, set your mind on the things of heaven, Hand over your thought life to God. Philippians 4.4 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But it's this process of just everything that's causing anxiety, everything that you're processing internally, hand it over to the Lord. Bring it before Him in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let Him take care of those things. Hand over your thought life to the Lord. Give dominion to your thought of your thoughts to the Lord. And let that peace guard your heart and your mind. And there's a whole, there'd be a whole lot more, but I can only think of three. So feel free to add some more to your own list. Well, so how do we transform our mind? 
That's those three. How do we transform our heart? It's important. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So we need to guard our heart. Part of that process is actually saying, I, I need to be protective of my heart. I need to acknowledge my heart. You know, that's standing guard. Not guard your heart in terms of get around to make sure your heart doesn't destroy things. <laughs> it can do that as well. But it's more about protecting your heart from the things of life. Guarding your heart, not shutting it down, not disconnecting, but guarding it, being a good steward of your heart, caring for your heart, loving your heart, acknowledging your heart, acknowledging the pain in your heart, acknowledging the trauma that you've gone through in your life. Not saying, oh, well, that was in the past. Not if it's in your heart. It may have happened in the past, but if you haven't been healed from it, then it's very present in your heart. And it has to be given a voice. It has to be acknowledged. That's why, again, here, even as a community, we're okay when people are messy. Because sometimes you have to, on that heart journey, you've got to go through some trauma that you never dealt with. Maybe you couldn't deal with it. Maybe you didn't have the understanding or the capacity or the community around you. Maybe as a protective function, the Lord allowed you just to put a cap on those things. till you could be in a place where it was safe enough for you to be messy enough that you could actually let your heart out. And then it all comes out. And we become really messy, ugly people. But I would rather messy, ugly, snot-faced people with open hearts that are getting healed than a whole bunch of religious people with disconnected hearts who know all the right things to say and all the right things to do and all that sort of stuff. Waste of time. I'm out. If we have a vote and we say, actually, no, we just want to be super, I'm, I'm gone. Long gone. I, I got no energy for that. Because it doesn't help anybody. Now, and again, it's not forcing them. Oh, I have to be broken and messy now. Not at all. Like, let the Lord do that. Let God do it, but let Him do it. Let Him do it in His timing, but let Him, let him do it. And trust that this is a safe place. You don't have to perform here. You don't have to have everything together. You can be messy. You can be broken. Hallelujah. Just be real. Guard your heart. Purify your heart. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. So again, it's not just, well, they just ignore the heart because it's deceitful. It's saying, no, no, purify the heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me a pure heart, Father. Do that work which brings me into purity. But it's allowing the Lord to do that, to purify our heart. We need to allow our heart and bring it before the Lord to be healed. Psalm 147.3 says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's a promise from God that He will heal your broken heart. He will heal the wounding in your heart. Even if that wounding happened 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, the Lord is present today to heal the wounds of the past. And sometimes even the wounding that we're experiencing in the present is actually the wounding of the past just rearing its ugly head because we never dealt with it in the past. And that could be for a multitude of reasons, but I know for me sometimes I have pain come up and it's like, it's overwhelming. I'm like, but this is not 
this circumstance. I can find something to blame it on. I can find someone to blame it on. Generally, it's the people that are closest to you. Well, I can blame them for my pain. But really, if it's pain for my childhood, then it's not right to blame them for the pain of my past that I haven't dealt with. Yeah. That's why I get prayer ministry. So allowing the Lord to heal your heart and then minister to your heart. Minister personally and allow it to be ministered to by people. Like the heart needs to be acknowledged, but not just acknowledged for, for maybe the mess or the chaos or the pain, but then to be ministered to. Ministering to the heart of people. That's what we love to do. That's what we hear. We're, we're in the process of developing a center to train people as heart ministers. Because the church needs it because too much of the church has ignored the heart. We've become hyper-intellectual or hyper-spiritual, but we've missed the heart. And the church does lots of great things and helps lots of people and lots of people, you know, get saved and all of that sort of stuff. It's not saying everything is bad, but often then people, they come forward and they pray a prayer and they say, you're a Christian now, and then they're kind of left they bring this heart filled with brokenness and pain and false refuge and addiction and distortion and lies and shame etc 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 and they've got to figure out what to do with that but no one's like will you take my pain will you help me with my brokenness will you help me with my addictions yeah sure just stop it stop doing that it's bad the Bible says stop doing that. What, you're a guy and you're attracted to men? Well, stop it, because the Bible says no to homosexuality. Forget the fact that there's a reason in your heart why you're drawn in that way. Oh, forget that. No, no, just stop doing it. Oh, you're an addiction to pornography? Stop it. It's disgusting. It's bad. It's wrong. Well, but there's something in the heart that's causing that desire that place of refuge that place of comfort that place of need being met but we don't we ignore that sometimes so we need to minister to the heart we need to give it a voice to give it value and to have the tools to be able to actually minister to people in these ways god is healing my heart and when he heals my heart i become a different person when he transforms my heart i'm no longer the same person that i was because at the very core of who I am, God's changing me. He's not just changing. I think a lot of things that I never used to think. But I also believe a whole lot of stuff that I never used to believe. And it's the changing of my beliefs that end up changing my behavior that bring me into freedom and peace and wholeness. So, to sum up, we want to be a people that value the mind that value the renewing of the mind, that value intellect and study and all that sort of stuff. And some people will be more gifted to, to go down that road and to, to, you know, to study and to pull out the Greek words and all of that sort of stuff. And it's great. We need more theologians in the church. But we don't want theologians that are disconnected from the heart. <laughs> we, want, we need heart theologians because that's what God's concerned on. He's like, I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you do. I want your heart. Because it's with your heart that you know me. That's what Jesus says. Many people will stand before me like, we did this, Jesus. We, we 
you know, we healed the sick, we did this, we did this, and it's like, I didn't, but I don't, I don't know you. But who are you? And again, to, and, and I know we've, we've harp on about this all the time, and it's just something that God's put on us as a community to be a, a heart-healing community, but man, the body of Christ needs it. It needs the acknowledgement of it, and then it needs the, the tools and the ministry to bring people into healing and wholeness. All right, I'm going to pray.